This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody. Mike Francesa Podcast as we head into the middle of June. Just a reminder, later this week, golf is obviously at the forefront right now. Now, this week, you couple it with the U.S. Open from Massachusetts, and you're going to have a week where golf, the future of golf, the controversies in golf right now are going to come to the fore. The PGA clearly has gone on the attack. They went on the attack with their telegas this weekend of the Canadian Open. So it is going to be a wild week in golf. We will deal with that with a podcast just on the U.S. Open with predictions and also where we're headed in golf. We'll put the show together for you later in the week. Now, right now, it's all smiles here in New York. The Yankees, listen, when a team like the Cubs, who don't know Yankee Stadium, come in, it's embarrassing. The Cubs had a chance to win Friday night because the Yankees didn't hit and the Cubs pitched. The Cubs couldn't buy a hit. Both teams were at 1.0 for 30 with runners in scoring position, but the Yanks wore them out and won the game. After that, it was a joke. They were non-competitive. I mean, you saw the Cubs throwing uh, position players by Sunday afternoon and uh, Higgy hitting a home run off a 38-mile-an-hour position player pitch, which is not even baseball. So, But the Yankees are overpowering bad teams. Now they will see good teams, Rays, Blue Jays, Rays, Astros, the next two weeks. So this will be competition for the Yankees who are running and hiding this year. The question's going to be in the second half. Hey, are we built? There's only be one question, folks, for July, August, September, and all Yankee fans are going to get a little bored. It's going to be one question. Are we built to get to the World Series? Do, what do we have to do? We don't have to do anything to win the division. We don't have to do anything to make the playoffs. What we have to do is, are we built to the best of our ability? They're not going to need to add anything if they don't want to, to get to the playoffs and to be in a commanding position in the regular season. But are they built for the postseason at optimum level? That's going to be the only question. Now to the Mets, who went 5-5 five and five on the trip, Got a big lift last night. You've been waiting to see how Buck dealt with Diaz. He gave him the five-out save last night. He brought him in to face Trout. He blew Trout away with dynamic stuff. He went the five-out save for just the fourth time in his career. You will see that from him. Now you've seen it. You'll see it in the postseason. You might see it on a few occasions in the regular season. What's happened here, though, is during this five-on-and-five trip, which is fine, the Mets finally saw the teams wake up. The Phillies have gone 9-1 and one without Girardi. Atlanta's clicked off 11 wins in a row and have cut the lead in half. Now it's five and a half games. So Philly's still out nine after going 9-1. and one. Atlanta has cut it to five and a half games, so they're right there in the race. 
But remember, this is only the second time in Met history that they have had 40 wins at this point in the season. The other time was 86, when they ran away and hid, won the division by 15 games, and won the World Series. So for Met fans, I should put a smile on your face, especially when you realize that they have the wherewithal to go buy whatever they need, and you have done this without a lot of Scherzer and no DeGrom. And if they can come back, there will be no issues. Now, they got to come back and be themselves, especially DeGrom. I think Scherzer will be himself. The question is, will DeGrom be himself? You know DeGrom will not pitch with pain. Will he come back and be pain-free and be allowed to compete and compete anywhere near where he competed last year? If he competes on the level he competed at last year, and what we've seen from DeGrom the last few seasons, the Mets are going to be lights out. Lights out. They have a Buck has created a tremendous chemistry on this team. You can see it. And they can both, the Yankees and the Mets, decide. Now, Hickey hit two homers yesterday to get the wolf away from his door. Trevino's been good. Hickey finally, one was batting practice, but he did hit the two homers. I, go, I know everybody's goofy about Carpenter. Hey, Carpenter is a guy who is perfect for Yankee Stadium. He's a guy who, when he was himself, and he hasn't been himself in a long time. But when he was himself, he was a perfect Yankee Stadium left-handed hitter. Hits fly balls to right field. You do that at Yankee Stadium, they're home runs. He's hit six home runs with seven hits. He's had six home runs in 24 at-bats. And in 24 at-bats, he has as many RBIs as Gals had all year. So he's been wonderful. Is he a nice addition? Yes. People have gone gaga over him, but remember, he's not going to continue this. But it doesn't matter. Judge will try and win an MVP and get as much money as he can. The Yankees are going to have a very exciting regular season. The question is, if they don't get to a World Series this year, it will be a devastating blow. What they have created is they have, with this performance, pushed all their cards to the middle, to the middle of the table. They have to get to the World Series this year. If they don't, when are they going to get there? They're playing 700-plus baseball. They are dominating. They're hitting two homers for every homer they give up. Their run uh, differential is getting astronomical. They are by a large margin at this point in performance the best team in baseball. But it doesn't matter if they don't get to and win the World Series. So what do they have to do to do that? And I think they still have to make some changes. Yes, with a team that's winning like this, they don't need to make them for now. They might need to make them for later. As for the Mets, come off that trip 5-5 and after it opened 0-2, considering guys who were beat up, pitchers that were getting stale, it's a very good performance. Diaz who I have been very hard on since he's been here, has been electrifying. He was brilliant last night, absolutely overpowering. He got to 102, wicked slider, struck out everybody in sight, just blew Trout away. That's where the Mets and the Yankees are. And if you're a Yankee fan or a Met fan, you got a big smile on your face because in mid-June, you know that barring something obscene, 
you're going to the postseason. And if you're the Yankees, you're going there on a magic carpet. The question is, can you complete the deal? NBA game five this evening. I told you beforehand, it was a very, very razor-thin edge. I gave the Warriors. I knew the Celtics were deeper. I knew they were bigger. I knew they were more athletic. But the experience that Golden State could bring, I thought could be the difference. And, I, and they were home. They had the extra game at home. And that can still be the difference now. I picked Golden State in seven. I stay with that as we go to game five. The Warriors made changes that worked in game four. And let's see how the Celtics answer this evening. You know, the interesting thing here is the Warriors, you think, are always going to outshoot everybody from three. They're not going to outshoot the Celtics from three. They haven't and they won't. It's about the defense they played in game four, the changes they made on defense, the performances they got from their key guys other than Curry. Curry was dynamic. He's going to score. Curry is the one guy in this series who you know is going to score early, late, and in between. Nobody's going to stop Curry from scoring. Tatum is not ever going to be as consistent, and he hasn't, and he was invisible in game four. But the, but the Warriors finally took away the right hand of Brown, and Brown still scored, but they at least did a better job there. Their defense was good. Wiggins had a great game, 17 points, 16 rebounds, an all-time high, and good defense. Only gave them a big game. If the bigs are going to be on the floor for the Warriors, they have to produce. They can't be statues who don't score any points. They have to play defense. They have to get up on the boards. And they have to be able to do something offensively to earn their keep. And that includes Green, who has had a very tough series. Now, the Celtics have a strange team this playoff year. They're 8-3 and three on the road. They're 6-5 and five at home. That is strange. And they collapsed in game four. And you've heard him say, we're fine and we're fine and we're fine. Hey, they're going to they're gonna be back and have their moments in the series still, despite their collapse in game four. And it was a collapse. They were up 94-90 with five minutes to play. They got scores on the, on the garden floor 17-3 in the last five minutes of the game. 17-3. And Tatum was invisible. That can't happen. So this is now, I think, headed to a game seven. I don't think it'll be Celtics win tonight, Warriors win game six, and then we get a game seven. I think the home teams will prevail here, but I think we're headed for seven games. And I still give the Warriors a slight edge in late game execution because of the presence of Curry. Thompson has got to be consistent. Wiggins, they can count on. And Green has got to figure out how can I contribute even though I can't score. He was right to get benched in the game. He did have nine rebounds and eight assists in that game. They have to move the ball through him. They make him a facilitator even though he's not a threat. It's very hard to do. They got up on the backboards. They have to do that. And when they can get turnovers, they are lethal in transition. The Celtics, when they turn the ball over, give 
the Warriors to score. They can handle the Warrior offense in the half court. They cannot handle it in transition at all. So when the Warriors can run, they are lethal. And that's why the Celtics cannot turn the ball over. If they have a high turnover number and they're prone to it, they get killed on turnovers. This is a very competitive series with a lot of twists and turns because different guys do it every night. Other, of course, than Curry, who is clearly the best player on the floor. But this has become very tough because this is a place that usually LeBron James teams are in. How you manage his minutes, how you get by when he's off the floor, the Warriors have never had to deal with that with Curry until now. Now it sags for the Warriors when they're off the floor. The one thing they've learned and you watch in this series is Wiggins has got to be on the floor when Curry's not. He's a very positive player for them. He's a lethal, he can be a lethal scorer. He can be a consistent scorer. He's a confident scorer, and he does everything else. And he can, has to be on the floor. Not even Thompson. Wiggins has to be on the floor when Curry's off the floor. But the minutes that they have to manage when Curry's off the floor are critical for Golden State because they sag when he's off the floor. Just like, now LeBron was going to handle a lot of minutes, Curry's not used to handling as many minutes in this down the stretch here. He's got to handle major minutes the next three games if they want to win a championship. I still think we're looking for game seven, so I think we'll have more to say on that later. I picked, like I said, Golden State in seven, and I have no reason to change. I think we're headed for seven games. Now to the Rangers. I know it was a very tough loss. Here's my take. I know people are getting on the coach for making the changes that he made. All right, he was trying to shake things up. It backfired. Hockey guys I talked to, they were all very upset with what he did. Okay? I understand he was looking for a spark. He was looking for some life. Remember, they had, they, after game two, they did nothing even strength the whole series. They couldn't handle this team at even strength in any of the games after game two. I think it was more than just Tampa's defense, which you have to give great credit to, and also the play of their stars. I mean, you saw why they're great players. Their goalie stepped up. Their big players stepped up. And they did it without point, who I'm sure will play in the final now. But, you know, they got it from the guys they needed to get it from, and they got it from a couple of unexpected places. And their defense was superb. Igor obviously did a tremendous job. I mean, he was the reason why that game wasn't a one-sided game in game six. It was stunning how quickly they scored that goal after the Rangers finally scored. But I think when the smoke clears, you'll realize two things. One, I think the Rangers were exhausted, absolutely exhausted. They had come from behind dramatically in two series. They played really with no net in two series where they got behind. In Pittsburgh series, they did something that had never been done, trailing in three comeback games in a row and winning all of them. So this team went seven games, went seven games, got up 2 nothing, and I think clearly ran into a team that is a great champion but also ran out of gas. They ran out of gas. Teams can run out of gas in the playoffs, and I think clearly 
you'll hear more and more how the Rangers just ran out of gas. It can happen. They had not, you know, they had had one two-day rest period. Otherwise, they had played every other day for 40 days. That's grueling. under grueling circumstances, trying to come from behind with no law, you know, with no margin for error. That's very hard to do. So I think they gave you a wonderful spring. They clearly did. And they clearly are at a position where they have to be very, very smart because they have a chance to have a really good team. But that means making the right moves and making the right additions. Making the right move with your personnel right now. If they do that, clearly they could have a really fun next couple of years. And that's what you're hoping for. When the smoke clears and you're in the summer, you're going to love the run they had. I know right now it's a little disappointing that they didn't get to the finals. I asked a couple of hockey guys already, and we'll do something previewing it, uh, but I asked, and both of them liked Colorado. They said too much firepower. I don't know anything about Colorado. I've never seen Colorado, so I'm blind on that. But I like the style that Tampa plays. I like their coach. I like their defense. I like their goalie. If I got the better goalie, which it sounds like I do, Everyone says you do, so I'll go by that because I don't know anything about Colorado. I know they're high scoring. That's all I know. And talented. That's what everybody told me. I've never seen them play. But here's what I'm saying. I have seen Tampa play a lot in the last couple of years. And they are a championship team with guys who take the responsibility of being stars and take the responsibility of what that means to be a star. They're wonderfully coached, defensive Ability, good goalie. So I would stick with them until they're beaten and expect them to win again. We'll see what happens. As I said, this week is going to be a lot about golf and the future of golf with the U.S. Open upon us. As we head towards the U.S. Open on Father's Day this weekend, golf is in a very, very Crazy place. We'll get to that later in the week. When we come back, email. Email the Mike Francesa podcast. Drop Mike a note at mikefrancesapodcast at gmail.com. Mike Francesa podcast. And remember, if you want to send a question, a comment, whatever, mikefrancesapodcast at gmail.com. Betrivers.com for all your gambling needs. Go to the Bet Rivers app. They have everything that you want. All right. Matt, um, Thanks for a great recommendation of 50 to 1 the other day. Great movie, and I learned a lot about what it's like to get a horse to the derby, if that's what it's really like. Hope you get there one day. That is what it's really like. You know, it's a dream of anyone who's ever owned a horse to get a horse into the derby. Sometimes it's blind luck, as it was in that case, and it turned out to be an incredible, incredible journey with my net bird. I recommend the movie. It's called 50 to 1. Now, you saw the Belmont this weekend. Was a lackluster Belmont. Give my friend Mike Rapoli credit. His horses ran 1-2, which is an incredible accomplishment. Uh, Wasn't a great field. The best three-year-old in training clearly is Jack Christopher. He's not a classic distance horse, I don't think. I don't even think he'll run on the Travers. They might try him up there, but I doubt it. Uh... 
there were three horses that really impressed on Belmont Day. One was the aforementioned Jack Christopher. Two, and he was this one, the second one was number one, and that was Flightline, who came in, beat a wonderful horse, just took his heart away in, in uh, Speaker's Corner, and just impressed to the end of the earth in the Met Mile. And then Casa Creed, our Casa Creed, who for the second straight year won the Jiper. Great ride by Saez. And the, the, the closing punch that Casa Creed has at six furlongs on the turf is really wonderful. He's, he's the new disco partner who won that race twice. And now we've won the Jiper, the grade one Jiper on uh, Belmont Day two years in a row. And to win a grade one stake at Belmont on Belmont Day is a big deal. It really is. So it's been wonderful to have, have done it two years in a row with my partner, Leon Slider, with my kids there, my wife. There. It's really, it's a wonderful thing. It really is. It's a, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's very exciting. And we've been able to do that. So the horse has been really wonderful to us. Um, High Oak, I want to tell everybody because everyone asked me. We've decided for the good of the horse, we've turned him out. We're not going to race him as a three-year-old off that terrible fall. We're going to bring him back and hope we have a champion at four. We're trying to do what's right for High Oak. He's trained, but he hasn't had the sizzle that he's had in the past. And that sizzle was a lot. I mean, a lot to where Matt thought we could win the derby with him. Um, so we're going to turn him out for four months and try and bring him back as a four-year-old. And hopefully have, he'll have a very productive and a championship four-year-old campaign. And that's our plan with him right now. So we're not going to race him again this year. Uh, Santee. Very surprised to see Girardi crash and burn with the Phillies. Always thought of him as a good manager, especially with the Yankees. Getting fired this early in the season, does that hurt his chances getting a job somewhere else in the future? I think it does. Joe Girardi had a very good decade with the Yankees. But he's a manager who has got a reputation of being a little tough on his players, maybe a little untractable, uh, and clearly Philly responded and started winning games when he left, which means it clearly, and even Harper said some things, which I thought was out of line. But some managers favor the guy they can trust as an older player and don't go, you know, give rookies a long leash. And I think Joe might have been one of those, and that's what people were knocking him for. Hey, the bottom line is he didn't get the job. I don't know if he'll ever get another chance. He's a good manager. He's a, he's a very solid manager, and he's proved that. He's won a World Series. He had a great run with the Yankees. He's got a great record lifetime. He didn't get the job done in Philly, and he knows it. They had to make a change, and it, clearly the change has worked because they're 9-1 since he left. Tim in Jersey. Do you see a correlation between what is happening in golf and what is happening in college football? Nothing is like what is happening in golf. Remember, these guys are independent contractors. College football is in upheaval. College sports are in upheaval because they can pay the players now. So everything is in upheaval in college. So you're right. The system is, from a standpoint of both systems maybe being completely torn apart, you might be right. But as far as anything, golf is completely separate because it's an individual sport. It's not a team sport. But if your point is that the underpinnings of both sports might be completely torn apart, you're right. I don't want to spend a lot of time on the golf right now because we'll do a lot on it later in the week. I promise you, we'll do a whole podcast on it. Ed from Jersey. Have you watched any of the uh, Apple TV baseball broadcasts? What are your thoughts? 
Um, I've only, no, I haven't. I've only watched uh, the Yankees on the stream. I haven't watched any Apple yet, so I can't comment. Can you, uh, this is Kenny in Southampton. Can you please explain the business reasoning for Fox to pay Brady $40 million a year? Where do the networks get this money and how do you justify it? Here's how they justify it. You don't gain one eyeball. You don't gain one eyeball by putting an announcer on a game. People will watch it if somebody you never heard of broadcast the game and it was your team's, you'd watch it. Brady is there to make the package have some sizzle and to sell it to advertisers who want to be hooked with a winner and want to be hooked with Brady. That's the reason. Otherwise, from a standpoint of ratings, it will not have any impact. Okay, we'll do one more. Matt and Holbrook, the show you guys did, you and Dog, after the 96 game won ALCS is my all-time favorite show. Is there a post-game show for you that sticks out in your mind? A lot of them do. A lot. In 94, some of the post-games we did were unbelievable, especially after, remember, both teams had a habit of going seven games in all their series. So I think so many of those were unbelievably dramatic, pre-games and post-games, having Pat Riley on for an hour before a game seven, uh, being in the building after a game seven. So there were so many that were dramatic in that season of 94 where we went all the way with the Rangers to a seventh game in the Garden and they won the cup, and then the seventh game in Houston where the Knicks were denied game six and seven. Uh, 49 playoff games between the two teams. You know, the Garden alive every night. We traveled all over the, you know, we, we traveled everywhere with those teams. We went to Vancouver twice. Dog went three times. We went to Houston. We went to Indiana. We went everywhere. It was a remarkable year, and we had so many great postseason ones. But I do remember the Yankee ones. I remember, the, you see, the 96, when they won it in game six on a Saturday night, dog wasn't in the stadium, and I did the postgame with Susan. But the ones with dog were always a lot of fun because he would always be hating on them, and they would always break his heart in those days, 96, 98, 99, 2000. Remember, Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com. We'll see you later in the week. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.